are back on the hunt with Supernatural Season 2, Episode 6, No Exit. I'm Chris Barrows. And my name's Dan Cummins. It's good to be talking Supernatural again with you, Chris. Uh, this one in particular is a special one. Um, we don't see episodes like this. We will see another one like it in the distant future. But this one is uh, based on a very, his- you know, very historically uh based reality i think a lot of the episodes there they are based on folklore and real facts but this one actually has a real historical figure in it chris so i think it's it's uh especially um we're gonna have to dig into the details here because there's a lot surrounding the the subject on this one so i'm excited to hear what you've dug up about the actual uh you know killer in, in this episode it's also a kim manners episode love episodes directed by kim manners um, IMDb rating of 8.3. I like it more than 8.3 personally. That's me. Uh, this one aired, by the way, on November 2nd, 2006. And it sees Sam and Dean going to meet up with America's first serial killer where Joe lies to her mother about going to Vegas and joins Sam and Dean to help them on the hunt. So first and foremost, on top of this being a historical reference, legitimate historical reference, you got Joe on the hunt, which coming off your comments the last few episodes, I got to tell you, I'm doubling down on I wish Joe and Dean got together yeah. in the long run because they I, I enjoy them together. They've got a vibe that just works. And I just want to say um, I was watching this like, yeah, I, we learned some interesting things in this episode, too, which we will get to. There's a history yeah. here and there's a reason maybe that doesn't work. But, you know, we'll get there. Let's talk about this. So Joe Harvell's in it. Ellen Harvell's in it. Uh, and the location, Dan, Philadelphia. We're on the East Coast. We are not on the East Coast all the time on this show. So it's true. this is a little bit of an exception to that one, I would say. Yeah, we're coming from Oklahoma. So quite quite a drive. Uh, actually, in fact, uh, a day's drive, really, between Oklahoma and Philly, Philadelphia, which is where we are today. Great city. One of my favorite cities. Uh, I support the Philadelphia 76ers. That's my team. So I'm not really a football guy, Chris. I am a basketball guy, so I trust the process. Uh, it's cool to see Philly on camera, or at least, you know, we, we know the show is is filmed in Canada. Um, but they did steal some exterior shots, and it's pretty cool that they integrated, again, the real historical factor with uh, the killer, who we'll talk about. But Philadelphia was a very relevant location in his biography. So um, I, I like Philly being the backdrop here. Yeah, and look. Let's talk about the monster before we get into this plot, because the monster is a critical piece. And let's face it, it's fun to talk about these more unique monsters. So we're going to talk first and foremost the fact that this is a violent spirit. It's the violent spirit of Dr. Herman Webster Mudgett, who calls himself H.H. Holmes. He was inspired by Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. um, not in the best of ways, but uh, that that's where that's coming from. And we already know about violent spirits. If this is your first time listening, just uh, and you're popping in for this episode. Violent Spirit is a dangerous type of ghost because they're motivated by cruelty rather than, say, vengeance or attention seeking. Um, you can think of Hookman, uh, in particular, from earlier episode, Dr. Ellicott. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ellicott was a really interesting character uh, when you go back to season one. So, we've had some interesting violent spirits, and as, as we said, Dan, they show up on the show throughout. Uh, this, however. H.H. Holmes was America's first serial killer, which I just found really interesting. His victims have been estimated to be somewhere between 20 to 100, and some say as high as 230. Um, the only verified number is 
27 because that's Chicago, Indianapolis, and I believe Toronto. And he wasn't even a killer really early on in his career. He was fraud and other such things. Mm-hmm. Um, he pretended, I believe, according to the biography from what we found, to have found a cure for alcoholism. They did real estate scams and a machine that made natural gas from water. So um, this is the creepy part, though. In 1894, he opened a Myrtle, a murder castle as a hotel for the Chicago World's Fair and used it as a trap to torture and kill his victims. He was eventually arrested when they discovered his connection to the death of a former associate, Benjamin Feitzel, I believe, Pitzel, Pitzel, um, and then three of his children. And he was put on trial. He confessed to 27 murders and six murder attempts. So. You know, we know that's where the 27 comes from. He confesses to 27. Right. Um, he claimed at one point he was possessed by a devil, uh, and he was very talented at lying. Very talented. This whole murder castle piece comes up in the episode. They talk about the murder castle. Um, and it was a maze of winding passages, stairs to nowhere, mysterious and crooked. It was really designed to be confusing for an obvious reason. Daughters and mistresses and people went those types of folks were disappearing in the hotel. So in the episode, as we're talking about young blonde women disappearing, mm-hmm. that's why it, it all fits that description. Uh, he was hanged by the way, um, in May, 1896, I believe. And there was a rumor, Dan, there was a rumor that he did not get hanged, that he flew to South America. His body was later exhumed because his family essentially was like fed up with this. No, we didn't escape. The guy's the guy's dead. Um, and I think you and I were talking before, like they were afraid to exhume the body because they're like, he, there might be tuberculosis. There might be other stuff. Yeah. It's a really fascinating character in history. And if you like those kind of crime, crime podcasts, it's someone that you probably should go look up and learn more about if you have that interest in that history. I mean, that's a very short description. I don't want to make this episode about, um, just him but we very easily could and there's podcasts that have so we're not going to do it here yeah yeah holmes was uh an interesting character in that uh everything you just said chris uh he he certainly was a murderer that's a fact he certainly um was uh fraudulent that's a fact i think the interesting part for me is that he actually ended up bragging about his murders in in prison and elsewhere uh not prison excuse me uh sort of in holding uh, and, and elsewhere. And, you know, as he uh, has been classified in history, it, it's actually um, a lot of people can disagree on how prevalent he was, like just how many people he murdered. A lot of people think he didn't murder that many people and that he was just kind of running his mouth and hoping that his name would live on in history as, you know, the the first serial killer in America, but certainly one of the more successful ones. But some people on the other side of the spectrum, Chris, think he's Jack the Ripper. I believe it's his grandson who actually coined the theory that he spent some time in London under the moniker of Jack the Ripper. So depending on which source you're looking at or which story you're reading, you might hear different things about him. But I like how in this episode they took the and I'm going to make a pun here, Chris. They took the concrete facts um, about the hotel, about how his body was uh, later buried in concrete. So um, the fact that this hotel that they end up visiting has missing women going through the walls is quite poetic because 
they are marrying the concept of uh, the murder castle, which which is a real historical fact. And, you know, they're mixing in some other elements. So it's really cool that they took an actual serial killer. And and we know, Chris, that Sam is a true crime uh, fanatic. He says that early in season one. He says it throughout the show, I think as late as season 14, uh, actually. So it's really cool that we do get them, uh, you know, in front of a real live serial killer we'll see that later of course hitler is a, a prominent one but uh gacy is another uh it, it's pretty cool and, and honestly as i was watching this episode i thought man i wish they would have done that more you know like let's it's get a, some real serial serial killers from the hunt down it's a it's a good point i i do always go back to the hitler episode which is has some great dean moments in, in particular but yeah. um because there, there's a great line in that one but uh yeah that i mean look that's that's what's happening in this episode. This is what they're dealing with. But we got to go to the episode and the core plot itself, which is the fact that the boys walk in the middle of this fight at our favorite. I, I, I'd argue you and I really are liking the roadhouse, right? I love it. Uh, I'm digging the roadhouse. I wish more roadhouse. That's I'm, we can say that on repeat, mm-hmm. but they walk in. There is a fight. And Joe says, how about you give me your opinion, guys? And they're like, whoa. We're stepping back. Mm-hmm. This is you and your mom. Dean legitimately has said he's afraid of. There's a reason, you, and you see it later in the episode. But in the end, um, they find out there's this case she wants to pursue on her own. And Alan says, "You know what? You boys take this case." Yeah. What ends up happening, however, is unfortunately Joe has kind of a mindset here. She ain't gonna let this go. So what ultimately is gonna happen is that the boys are gonna go. Uh, on this hunt and joe's gonna show up because they're actually in this episode like they arrive and very shortly after joe shows up and they're suddenly role-playing along with joe dean's Mm -hmm. playing the loving boyfriend and you know there's sam really playing himself (laughs) essentially but uh they've got to go with it at that point because what else are you going to do i mean she puts them in a really tight spot as far as i'm concerned yeah and it's uh, you know joe being a female um she plays that angle really well to i guess the landlord is, is who they end up getting into the room with and it's cool to see um you know she's sort of an an added uh asset for the boys because there's only so many things that you can pretend to be as two brothers but when you introduce a female like joe you know you can kind of pull a little bit uh, more of the strings right to get what you want um she shows up with a wad of money which i thought was funny chris and and dean goes yeah where'd you get the money from right like the roadhouse doesn't get a lot of traffic um it's mostly hunters and i thought it was funny chris at the beginning when the family walks into the roadhouse and they say are you guys open and you know uh joe says no and ellen says yes and they're like okay we'll just go to arby's don't worry about it <laughs> so obviously the roadhouse is hurting for money a little bit but Joe reveals that she got the money from playing poker against hunters and, and she's, you know, she ends up winning. So to go back to the whole Dean and, and, uh, and Joe thing, man, they would have been great together, huh? They're both great uh, poker players. Uh, they're, they're both great at hustling people. I mean, they're, they're both. Yeah. Again, the fit is there. It's hard to ignore the conversation yeah. about the fit of Joe and Dean. Um, it is interesting though, because I go back to an episode when Sam and Dean, um, essentially are pretend to house hunt in the small community and they've got and it's just, it's got that same vibe like they're just kind of yeah. hanging out they're in an apartment you almost wish they had these little hideouts like across america they're not rich they don't have that but um when it comes down to it they're doing this and they're actually just walking around obviously doing the search and dean says i smell something he can't put 
his finger on exactly what it is that he smells. Right. We later learn to find his chloroform because they find this big clump of hair from one of the mm. victims. Yep. And another victim ends up going missing. But like they're living this almost semi-normalcy for like a day and like hanging out. Like one of them's just laying on the couch. It's it, it was kind of funny to watch all while they're investigating this um, to put them in one place, you know, one place hanging out and they're they're investigating within it. But they've got a great headquarters. It's not like them hanging out at a hotel and they have right. to go back to the hotel. Yeah, exactly. And and Joe actually turns out to be quite the uh, what do we want to call that? Um, uh, lo, you know, logistical mind. Dean actually thinks that Joe found the case from Ash, but Joe makes it very clear. I did all my research myself. Here's a giant archive of what I think is happening. And, and Dean is quite impressed by that. Um, later on, they find ectoplasm, Chris, which Dean actually says, uh, and I quote here, only seriously pissed off spirits end quote, can can leave that behind. So yes, it's a violent spirit, but Hookman, Dr. Ellicott, uh, Melanie Merchant, none of them have left ectoplasm behind, right? So we know that this spirit in particular is a, a very violent spirit. Um, and then Joe actually is the one that uh, finds the, the event, right? Which leads the boys to realize that whatever is going on here, it's happening in the walls. And I love that detail because Holmes in the hotel... As you said, Chris, he he built that hotel in Chicago to confuse people. So the fact that these women are going missing behind the walls leads them to go in the walls themselves. And ultimately, what happens to Joe? Well, she's not a hunter. And as Dean was trying to warn her, this job is not for you. You have options. Your mom is trying to protect you. I know you want to connect to your late father, which ultimately is why Joe is doing this, right? She just she wants to feel like she has some kind of connection with him or something in, in common. She misses her dad and that's why she wants to do this. And, but And that's a great dialogue because it sets off so much. Like there, yes. there's, there's a ton of foreshadowing in this episode. Oh yeah. As I thought about it, because that's foreshadowing to the end of the episode. Definitely. But early on in the episode, there is a line and this sounds funny and comedic, but, but I think it's important to note foreshadowing is happening. Uh, Basically, early in the episode, Dean goes, young girl's been killed by evil, evil cult. Sam says, yeah, girl's got a name. Dean, Katie Holmes. Yeah. Sam, that's funny. And for you, so bitchy. But Holmes, we later deal with Holmes, a killer. So yes, you get consistent. And I'm, you know, you can laugh it up and say, all right, well, let's throw away line, whatever. They're making a joke. But you have legitimate foreshadowing occurring because now the conversation with Dean and her relationship between a Winchester. Mm. And and this is going to come up. Fun fact, by the way, because I did look this up. Um, the ectoplasm is comes from the Greek term ectos, meaning outside, and plasma, meaning something formed or molded. It's a term used to denote substance of spiritual ex- exterized by physical mediums. It was coined by uh, researcher Charles Richet. Richet, if I said that correctly. So, okay. um, but yeah, there it is. Um, so there you go. Ectoplasm. Now you know more about ectoplasm. Yeah. It's not just for Ghostbusters. No, no. And it's nasty looking stuff. And, um, you know, when when they realize that, OK, ectoplasm, violent spirit, uh, air vent, something in the walls, they have this bright idea of saying, OK, let's look at the, the building's history and see if anything, you know, uh, is there is there anything that makes sense that we can highlight? And Sam being the true crime you know, fan. And I love this. I love that they kept that in mind. He sees that name and that means something to him. And so 
they go into the history, Chris, that you had gone over earlier. And he actually, um, he kind of seems excited about it. Is that fair to say? Like Sam is almost starstruck. He's like, there's no way that this is the guy that I am thinking of. Right. And, and he's, he's kind of starstruck. Is that the right word to, to I, say I there? think he's, it, I, it's, I think it's fair. He, he's aware he has a background. It's also building off something he said. So when you acknowledge a past comment uh, or a past line that showcases a character, I think that's important. I think this does that. So to me, that's the purpose served. Starstruck uh, would be, I mean, you, and think about it, what you said, they don't encounter some of these famous people all the time. They do from time to time. So when they do, it's a fairly big deal. Normally they're dealing with average Joe ghosts at right. this point. Right. Yes. Um, you know, so I think it is different and yeah, but it also means he's informed on it. So they have some information mm-hmm. and that's what ultimately they, they get, they get in these walls and they're exploring. Um, Sam doesn't exactly probably fit best in the wall compared to everyone else. Right. But um, Joe does. And I think mm-hmm. that that's part of the thing that happens here. They get to a tight spot and, and that's where Dean has it. Like, you're not hunt- like, you don't, it's like, I can handle this. You know, what the decision is bad when she starts going down a hole. Uh, that's when you're like, oh, what's she going to yeah. do? Um, and the great moment that I have is, w- w- no one comes trying to corner this part, but Dean's busting down a wall with a sledgehammer. <laughs> like, I think it was a sledgehammer. He's busting down a wall, finds her phone, and then he gets the the, the worst part for him, almost being that moment. And I, I'd say the car ride home is pretty awful, but when he gets that call, like, we're going to find her. And yeah. she's like, what do you, like, the rage. Oh, yeah. And in that moment, you know, all right, this is ugly. She says, I'm going to come. And that is Ellen. I'm going to come there. At that moment, there is no choice. They have to get her back. They've got to solve this. Um, And it's a very uncomfortable scene that comes next, as far as I'm concerned. There are creepy scenes in this show. It's supernatural. Mm -hmm. But they're in these boxes, basically, with little little, bitty people. You can't, (laughs) you know, and you're watching the creepy guy with uh, like you mostly see his facial hair, uncouth facial hair and like, and basically saying you're pretty like yeah. that's Oh, like disgusting uh, scene in just in terms of the visceral, like kind of experience you imagine her going through. Yeah. It's especially disturbing that as an audience, we know he's based on a real person, right? So when you look at the history of who this guy actually was and then you watch that scene, it is a little off-putting. But lucky for Joe, she has her dad's blade and the blade ends up being made of entirely iron. So she's trying to calm down the woman previous to her who had been captured, right? Meanwhile, she's fending off the ghost of Holmes who's basically trying to you know coddle her or whatever he's capable of doing it's like yeah like stroking her hair it's again yeah, I, which again for i i would say nightmare fuel for many people in particular any oh, yeah. woman who is watching that i can only imagine like because that's a different experience right like right. you know so it's it's disturbing that's that's the word that keeps kind of mind is discerning because it's like reaching his hand through right um but she does have that blade. And there's a scene with that blade before that we should note where Dean almost offers her a different blade and she shows him the handle and, and he gets like, oh, that was your dad's blade. I'm sorry. Yeah. So again, foreshadowing importance of something. It's happening throughout this entire episode. 
It is. Yeah. In, in very subtle ways. Yeah. And, and the blade ends up saving her uh, before the boys end up saving her. I love the scene on the street, Chris, where Sam has like a metal detector. At least I think it's a metal detector because Sam has been able to locate the blueprints of the, the building. And he sees that it, there used to be a sewer beneath the building that has since been closed off. So thank God, Sam, you know, being the researcher that he is, he's able to locate that. And eventually they're able to save her before it's too late. Um, the blade is great, but the other the other woman in the sewer doesn't have an iron blade, and that can only you know hold a spirit off for so long, especially one as violent as home. So they end up saving her, and this is where the questionable decision comes up on the boys' part, right? We talked about questionable decisions from the Winchesters. This is another one, um, maybe not as questionable because Joe offers herself as bait, right? And and we know that she went on this hunt without permission from her mother or the Winchesters. She shows up, right? And she does say, I understand that this spirit is after women like me. My plan has always been to be some sort of bait. And so when it comes down to beating this spirit, Dean's like, hey, remember you said earlier that you wanted to help kill this thing? Like now is your time to be bait. And she looks you know, uh, a little shaken by the reality that now she has to actually be bait. But it works, Chris, and they end up, uh, you know, saving the two women. But Joe has some questions, and they're good questions. You know, we we uh, we salted the sewer. What happens if it rains, right? What happens if someone goes down there? And I love that from Joe because she's she's thinking way ahead. And she's not really a hunter, right? But she's thinking ahead. And the sound of the cement truck backing in is like the perfect cutaway because. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fantastic. Dean is in a concrete truck and in no way, like I've been to Philly, Chris, I'm sure you have too. There is no way that you can get a concrete truck without permission and just dump concrete down a sewer like no, that. There's I, no way. You you extend reality in this situation, but it's a yeah. hilarious scene. Um, They're dumping it and they're just kind of like smiling in this moment. Yeah. The last time they're smiling in this episode because the next time we see, you see him in the car, Ellen is not talking. Dean puts on the radio. Let's listen to music. Yeah. And I was like, no. Well, and then he's like, this is going to be a fun ride. Uh, that's, this is where the big part comes. You'll learn at the end of this episode, this is why there's tension. Ellen has revealed to Joe that her father was killed on a hunt with John Winchester. Mm. And that tension, that moment, you can, you could cut it with a knife. Yeah. It hurts for everyone in that room, because you've got Dean who, again, trust in dad, trust in dad. And then you've got Joe who's now broken by this. And she, and that's why when she says you can't trust the Winchesters, they're still going to help. Right. But this sets attention. Now, when you come back to that, but like we need help, it's really not about the trust is, is gone at this moment. It's got to be rebuilt. And that's yeah. not easy. Yeah. And, and, and finally we get the answer of, uh, why John never wrote about, you know, the Harvells in his journal, right? I, I think uh, the voicemail is how they ended up finding her, right? Once John passed and they said, well, let's just give the Harvells a try. That was Ellen reaching out to John, but John yes. never mentioned the Harvells probably because he felt guilty. And, you know, obviously he was somewhat responsible for the death um, of, uh, you know, uh, Joe's uh, uh, father, Ellen's late husband. So, it is quite a bombshell. Obviously, Dean and Sam have no idea that this happened. Joe is talking to Dean 
as if he might have some idea, but I don't think even Joe knows the extent of what Sam and, uh, and Dean know. Right. Like, I don't I don't think it's clear to her or if Ellen knows for that matter that I don't think I, I think there's a lot of mistrust because no one knows who knows what. And right. I think that's what makes the scene. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes down to it again, that's what we the note we end on. So we're left with that, Heavy. Um, which is tough. A few things you already noted that some have believed um, you, that uh H.H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper, mm-hmm. but I thought it was interesting um, because, as you also said, we're going to get to John Wayne Gacy and other things. But uh, this fun fact here is that Eric Larson's best-selling nonfiction novel, that's The Devil in the White City, he actually ends up describing Holmes in this as someone who targeted women, targeted women who had come to Chicago for work. And he writes, Jack the Ripper had found victims in the impoverished horrors of Whitechapel. He wrote, Holmes saw in traditional women fresh, clean, young things, free for the first time in history, but unsure of what freedom meant and the risk is the risk entailed. So um, he compare it makes this comparison. But if you read The Devil in White City, which is a, a, a great book, I read that ages ago. I didn't even think about it uh, when this episode happened either till now. But that was one that you do hear about Holmes, Jack the Ripper and, and some other things and that. So just a reference I thought was worth noting. Yeah, and it's interesting just to see the parallels in cases, right? Like a lot of these serial killers, they do go for people who, you know, think of themselves as outcasts or in a transitional period, like you said. So um, most of them do have a type, right? Joe ended up being the type in this situation. Um, We will talk about later serial killers. Gacy, you know, season 14, that will come later. But, you know, Chris, overall, I thought this was a fun concept, Um one that the boys could really sink their teeth into. Um, and this is probably the most violent spirit we've seen so far. Uh, there's There are some that will probably get close to it, but it is interesting to note that someone, as a serial killer, the more people you kill, the stronger your violent spirit becomes, right? So it kind of goes into the um, the lore of what makes a spirit violent and how violent can a spirit get? Well, it depends on just how bad of a person they were. So... I like that they're building on the mythology here with this episode. Can I give you some fun, quick trivia to oh, of course. end this? So great quote for some roast Dean. That's ectoplasm. Well, Sam, I think I know what we're dealing with here. It's the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. So <laughs> obvious Ghostbuster. Rapper. Another Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Here is an interesting thing. There is when they're researching um, the H.H. Holmes, they find a photo of a dead woman, and that was actually one of Jack the Ripper's victims, and it was Elizabeth Stride, not yep. Holmes. Right. Um, so they do make that connection. But this is because we talk about the Star Wars reference with the show. Joe, at one point to Teresa, says, I'm here to rescue you. Direct Star Wars reference right there. Mm. When, when, when Luke goes to rescue Leia, he says, I'm here to rescue you. And then she, of course, comes back and says, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? But... Um, some really great references in here. So I did want to make them. There's a, a bunch in this one. They make a ton. We have some returning characters who will come back. Um, the person who plays Katie Burns comes back in season eight. Brent Chapman, who played Ed, comes back in season eight as well. So some returning people, as we always deal with on the show. And you probably won't recognize them, to be honest, because so much time has happened. So Oh, yeah. We'll yeah, I like how they're here. Yeah, I like how they reuse characters. One more, Chris. Uh, when that family comes into the roadhouse, the guy makes the you know the quote that uh, we're just gonna go check out Arby's instead. 
Uh, I found this while looking through my research. I don't know if you saw this as well, but apparently in 2016, 10 years later, Arby's uh, tweeted a picture of one of their burgers. And next to the burger was the uh, anti-possession symbol that the boys have on their chest made out of ketchup. And the caption says, carry on my wayward son, hashtag supernatural. So they're 10 years late on, you know, seeing this episode, realizing that they got referenced. But I thought that was a fun little uh, you know, tweet from Arby's. Yeah, that's great. Well, look, this has been a fun episode to talk about more than more than anything. Um, we are certainly going to be back with much more. Season two is far from over. Um, but Dan, I'd say that's it for this week. But we'll be back because after all, we've got work to do.